Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and I am thrilled to tell you about today's episode. Today, we are joined by two incredible guests, Angelina Jolie and Tokata Ironize. Angelina Jolie, yes, that one, is the well-known actor, director, and humanitarian and one of the authors of Know Your Rights and Claim Them, A Guide for Youth, a book she co-wrote with Geraldine Van Buren and Amnesty International that is all about the rights of children and how young people can learn what rights they are afforded and make changes in their communities. Tokata Ironize is a Native American activist who rose to prominence for her efforts of organizing against the Dakota Access Pipeline. We talk today about the book and the ways young people have the power to affect real change. The Stacks Book Club pick for December is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you want more of The Stacks, you can find bonus episodes, a Discord community, virtual book clubs, and more over on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. I want to give a quick shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Yelena Cavazzini, Alaire, Molly Freelich, Francesca Martinez, Lizzie Steinbach, Liana, Clara Fischel, and Lexis Ho. I really could not make the show without you and the rest of the Stacks Pack, so thank you. All right, now let's talk with Tokata Iron Eyes and Angelina Jolie. All right, you guys, I am so excited. Today I am joined with actor, author, activist, Angelina Jolie, and youth activist, Tokata Iron Eyes. Ladies, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really excited because today we're talking about Know Your Rights and Claim Them, a guide for youth that was written by Angelina Jolie, Amnesty International, and Geraldine Van Buren. And Tokata, you're joining us to kind of speak to the actual work that young people are doing and can be doing. So it's sort of a mashup today of the author side and the activist side, which I'm very excited about. So we'll start where we always start, which is in about 30 seconds or so. Can you tell us about the book? Oh, 30 seconds. I've never done this. Uh, well, the, <laughs> the book, you know, it says authored by, but really what it is, is a, it's, a, it's a toolkit. And it wasn't, it's a book of gathering other stories of work like Tokata's and the young activists and the people around the world and really basing it centered on the rights of a child, which, you know, when, when you start to question what are the rights, 
how do children actually access these rights? What's actually getting in the way of these rights? And what can they do? And trying to think about children around the world and the different ways they may need to approach this, um, this, this lack of access. So, so that's what it is. And that's how it was, it was formed. I love. Togata, I called you a youth activist, but I think that's dumb and pejorative. So <laughs> I don't know. You're an activist. I think that I just said it because it's written down in front of me, but I feel like it's sort of silly, right? Does that annoy you a little bit at all? I mean, I think both of the parts actually kind of like annoy me a bit, like youth and activists. Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I've never I I mean, there's just like there's the part right where like my childhood and like my youth, you know, sort of got taken from me because of the work that I've done. Like I really had to grow Mm -hmm. up fast in accordance to the responsibilities that were growing, you know, and then like yeah, activists, like, it it never felt like, I guess, like, such an occupation, you know, I I guess it's just, again, like an obligation, something that was inherent. But it's also the way that everyone introduces me. So I don't want to make you feel like, you know, that's just a you thing, because it's not. Well, I could probably be doing better. I can't be responsible for everyone else. But (laughs) why don't you just tell me how you would like to be referred to? What's your dream? Um, I think, I mean, honestly, just like my name. I mean, I think that's pretty basic. And then I think people can like figure it out from there. <laughs> Mostly also because like I've not figured it out from there. I love that idea that you're still figuring it out because I think that that I'm still figuring it out. I mean, I just think that's so relatable. Okay, we're going to jump back, kind of start with the book. So the frame of the book, as you mentioned, Angelina, are the rights of children that were agreed upon at the UN Convention for the Rights of Children. And one of the things that I found really interesting, and I did learn a lot reading this book, I'm sort of embarrassed to say, I thought maybe I would know more. I learned a lot in writing it. There's a lot. There's There's a lot. lot. I was taking a lot of notes. (laughs) But can you explain a little bit to people how children's rights are different than general human rights, because I found that really interesting. I probably won't say it the way in the book, I don't even remember, but what I under, what, where it's landed with me is what any right is for, or what anybody's, you know, the, the base of why rights exist is so a human being can, can become the full human being they should be without restriction and abuse. And, and so a child is in these very formative years. And so their rights are so much more important um, because their growth and this time is so precious and so important and their voices are so important and, and their protection is so important because they are becoming, they're growing and this is that formative time. And they, and they have human rights. They are human. Within the human rights, that's the child. But the child has these other rights because they they need to be considered in a special category because of the the sensitivity of what it is to be growing up. And so it's not that these rights came out of, wouldn't it be nice to give them some of this or wouldn't it be nice to give them that? The rights are in order for a child to grow into a healthy adult, what is the base? Mm. And without this base, we know it's going to be damaging. This is what we know. We know mental health, emotional health, science, physical protection, all these things. We know that these are, that this base is there because this is the best shot of this child becoming a healthy human being, a healthy adult. And it makes sense. Everything you read, every right makes perfect sense. You read and any intelligent person says, of course, yeah, of course. 
And so it's from that that then we look through the lens of children's rights, human rights, and abuses around the world instead of kind of picking one at a time. Oh, well, this person's being assaulted for this, or this there's rape and conflict over here, or there's lack of land rights over here, or this this child should go to school. It, it's not one piece of you know injustice at a time. It's all collected in all of it's 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 asking everybody to go back to the base treatment and then look at what is being taken from children their childhood or the rights to their body or their voices or their freedoms or their land what is being taken and seeing it in a more aggressive way as an assault on them not just that it would be nice if they had the right to play or right to it's not nice it's an assault on them that these things are stripped from them and removed from them because we know it's necessary for their health. Yeah. One of the things that I found really interesting, I mean, there's so much in there, but one of the things I found really interesting that in the United States, they actually haven't signed on to ratify this charter, this document from the UN. Mm. Anybody have any ideas? Why not? Anybody have thoughts? Because I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of questions, but I'm hoping. Yeah, Kata has a lot of thoughts on that one. Yeah, well, because people have too much stock built into the labor of young people already within the United States. And so much of it is free and is completely stolen. Like, as an activist, like, I work for free from the time that I was, like, 12 until around, like, 16. Wow. You know, just completely unpaid, doing several different things for various different organizations that were like very much established. And I didn't ever know that it was actually something I needed to be paid for until I started talking to other young people who were being paid for it and had been doing it and had realized that it was an industry far sooner on, you know. And also, like, there, I think there were just like child labor laws that were like, violated in like texas or some shit like like they were like 14 year olds it was like making sure that like 13 and like 14 year olds can like work later hours until mm-hmm. like 11 p.m like they're uh it, it's just like people people are not ready to actively admit that we've not actually made very much progress. I mean, I'm sure that not a lot of people know, at least within the U.S., about the the U.N. you know gathering of child rights at all, or or that that is even an assembly that happened, or that we're violating it in any way. Like, you know, it's not actually. I don't think out of ill intent. It's just simply out of like a mass miseducation. Which is why it's great that this yeah. book exists. <laughs> Which is why it's it's awesome. Yeah, I think too. What ends up happening is it's it's, it's partly it's part of what you, what she said, which is adults have to be willing. A lot of times, when you look at why someone's rights are not given to them, it's somebody's benefiting somehow. Mm-hmm. And if you really try to track it, so who benefits when children in America don't have these rights? You can you can force them to do more work. Maybe a parent doesn't want to give up these rights because they want to put their child at work or profit from them. Maybe they, I know voice in court is a very important one, right? Right. Or or like if we're talking, you know, about rights to a 
clean future or a future at all. And and then you start talking about like as an indigenous person, like for me, what it means to identify like as a woman and also like not to be seen as a child anymore. I mean, I know that they say that mm-hmm. like, right, that like the UN like youth caucus stuff goes into like kind of egregiously late. Like it's like 27. Well, I don't want to say that, but like. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's past 18. Yeah, it's past 18. Like legally, right? Like I can be tried as an adult now. So there's like, so there's at least that. Um, Yeah. And and it's it's sort of crazy, I I guess, to imagine. Um, But as an indigenous person, like my rights are different, you know, like, again, which is why like this sort of book is so important because it doesn't actually, it's not set up for one individual, right? It's set up so that people internationally can look at this as a guide to protests and to civil disobedience in a way that is safe, in a way that is at least assured, right? Like by going through it, that like choosing a path based on the evidence there will not bring you at least like bodily harm. The rest is up Mm -hmm. to you. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure that like I'll go to many protests and have (laughs) of that that choice to make myself but yeah and and I think it's just like a good introduction I I think protest is something that sounds scary to a lot of young people because it's so villainized in in the mainstream I guess all all you really hear about is like riots you don't think actually immediately like revolution when you think protest nowadays, you think about like burning property and and different things. I mean, if you're like, I guess, an average American, I would say like that is the main concern, it seems. And to just give people like an access point to this this work for themselves to realize, right, that it's not actually that anyone should be making enemies of each other but that we have dignity and like we can protect that for ourselves no matter what age we are yeah Mm. I think that that's one of the things that stuck out to me about the book was it is I mean the subtitle says it's a guide for youth but it really is a guide and it's not just a guide and the way that it's like, follow these steps and you can change the world. But it's like, look at this young person who's the same age as you right now, or maybe they're doing something that interests you or something that you're passionate about. And these are the things that they did that may or may not seem extraordinary, depending on where you're coming from. But these are the things that young people did. And these are the things that young people are doing all over the world. I love that the book is inclusive of so many children and young people all over the world. Because at least in my experience as an American, it becomes so American-centric. It becomes obsessed with the problems and the issues of America. But the problems and the issues are interconnected. They're global. And you can't have one without the other. So I really appreciated that as a point of inspiration as well. And just that some of the things that popped into my mind about why the U.S. wouldn't want to ratify this also had a lot to do with with the police gun control, prisons, prison abolition, and those kind of industries, healthcare and those industries, when you talk about who's benefiting. Okay. I'm curious, Angelina, when did you start working on this project as a book? And has it changed from what you set out to write? Well, I started, I mean, I've been, so I've been working with the UN and traveling into the field. I work with the refugee agency for about 20 years. And so 
you know, you jump into this. This is why I say it's not really one issue or another. You jump into anytime you start becoming conscious of the world you live in, it's not, you may have one aspect of the injustice that really tugs at your heart that really you become passionate about, but really you see very quickly how interconnected it all is. And that, and so working with refugees, people are displaced for all different reasons and all peoples are displaced and all religions and all races and all, and persecuted for different reasons and struggling with different issues within displacement. And um, so whether it be gender-based violence or diabetes or like everybody's dealing with something and it's all in this kind of, we now have 82, 80, I think it's 84 million people displaced. Oh my God, so, so many. So, and, and growing. Um, because of the different different realities that that we're facing, so in looking at that and seeing always how much the children are the most affected, right, and 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 have the whether it's they're growing up in displacement, whether their their parents are fleeing because they're being forced to be conscripted into child soldiers, or because they're going to be forced to be generally mutilated, or because they're unable to go to school, or because and all this the ways the children are not they are they are right in the center of that crossfire of of so much injustice and, and abuse. And the most vulnerable. So that was always on my mind and trying to figure out how it's possible. And it felt like I was going one conflict to a time, addressing the same thing over and over again, right? As if it was starting, we kept saying, why are we talking about this as if it's the first time it's happened? Mm -hmm. Or hmm. we're so shocked. We should stop being shocked. These things need to become, when we see this or we know this, it's wrong. There needs to be you know, quicker response than, than two years of discussion about how bad it is. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, but it was driving me nuts. And then I, I, um, experienced some things myself and, and started to learn more about children's rights in America. And I being a UN person pulled out the rights of a child and started to look through it until somebody explained to me that doesn't apply to your kids hmm. in the way that you think it does. And you can't, you can't teach it to them. Yeah, you're, you're, you're talking to them about it as if it's something they can touch and hold and they can't. Mm. And hmm. I started to then really question, what does that mean? And of course, law itself for anybody, we can all say, and a, and a country can sign and ratify and still the citizens, of course, because look at all the countries signed up to the UN, but look at their behaviors or look at the, so you start to say, okay, this younger generation is more connected than ever. And they are up against a lot of people who are really trying to strip them of their rights and, and really trying to do this uh, campaign of miseducation. So the best thing we can do is work with those who helped pen the rights of a child, which is Geraldine and, and Fight for Children, which is Amnesty, and say, how do we strengthen the fight these kids are in, really? When we can't, you know, we want to try to do what we can as adults, but but we're going to bet on them and we're going to give them the tools and we're going to talk to them directly because they're dealing with so much. And what's amazing to me is some people will say, well, if the, how can a child, a certain children read about this because it has this and this in it. And you think you're so upset about a kid reading about it, but you're not upset that the kids went through it. Are went dealing with it. it. Well, you're the, yeah. <laughs> they, we're going to have to start talking to them about it and writing about it and putting yeah. it in front of them because that sadly is their reality and let's face yeah. it deal with it so and then the bigger question was if you give kids the tools are they going to get hurt mm -hmm. and that was to Okada's point like then it was a really interesting study in okay well let's now I'm going to sit in I'm going to sit in the position of a girl in this country how does how do I tell her how to find safety 
to figure out how far she is from her rights, to know what to question, then to see who her allies are, then to see how much danger she's in, she's going to start to actively fight for them. And that was a very, very, you know, a sobering study because you realize, well, over here, we might say, go to the streets, talk about this, don't put up with that. You think that is not the advice and the right way to talk to somebody in a certain country. So we would have to map it out in a way where you would have to find your way through the book to guide you individually. Mm -hmm. And Tokata, I didn't ask you this, but can you speak a little bit about your journey to, to the work that you've been doing? Yeah. I think that's super interesting for folks to hear. Sure. Um, So I, like I said, you know, it wasn't very much like ever work to me or much of an occupation. I'm Hunkpapa and Oglala Lakota. I'm from the Standing Rock Reservation in North and South Dakota. I like had sort of grown up there, you know, in and out all my life. And we were living there when I was about 12 years old and the Dakota Access Pipeline was proposed. And so me and a bunch of my peers who were all like, you know, seventh graders um, decided to make a film and then a petition um, coinciding with this, this like social media campaign to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline. And, and just the, the video was talking about, you know, what the river meant to us. And it got seen by a good amount of people. Um, and they actually, a lot of the young people did a physical run from Standing Rock to Washington, D.C. to hand deliver this petition. Mm. And so there was like a lot of media that picked up. And as a result, you know, like the movement in its like, I guess, highest was like 15,000 people on the ground physically opposing this pipeline for a stretch of about like six, eight months, I'd say. Yeah. And it was intense. Like the population of the reservation as a whole is only 7,000. So it was like a mass um, growth of population. And I started doing more media work and it was like videos and then speaking at rallies and then speaking at events and, you know, eventually more things like this. And as I learned and, you know, continue to grow as a person, it became very apparent, right, that like Dakota Access is only one pipeline project. And my parents had always been doing the work. They were part of a land buyback initiative to buy a sacred site called Peshla in the Black Hills. And I think now a lot of my work in, in the same way is like reflected of that generational fight. You know, like my grandfather always said that he wanted to live in the Black Hills as a sovereign nation. My father wants the same thing. And my parents, you know, are actively doing that work to try to make that a reality for us. And I carry that same thing. So again, it's not, you know, work but it's definitely I mean it's it's a fight it's for survival and our dignity (laughs) can I ask you how I'm having a hard time with the language because I want to respect what you're saying about it not being work and you identifying as an activist so forgive me if my language fails me here. No, but it, it, it's all failing us. I, 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 I remember I got into many arguments about this. I was like, English is a shit language. And then somebody was trying to argue me about Shakespeare. And I was like, don't talk to me about Shakespeare. Dog, it was genocide like, in some situations. Right. I want to know how being involved in these spaces and these communal activist groups with your friends, with your family for generations... 
I want to know how has that maybe changed your dreams for yourself and what you could imagine and maybe what possibilities has it opened up or things that you didn't think was a possibility when you were eight or six? Yeah, I mean, none of this, I, I don't think was probably a possibility. When I was eight years old, I was going to a, a, probably like a predominantly white institution in a small town in North Dakota. And I remember really being insecure about everything that it meant to be who I am. Mm. Um, and yeah, really feeling the pressure. It was just like only, always only being the only like native cat in your class, you know, like for example, my mother, there was this teacher who was obsessed with Lewis and Clark and she um, wrote a play that she would have this fourth grade grade class perform annually and firstly get this she didn't cast me as a kakawea firstly I have a grudge I'm the only native <laughs> student in the class if she didn't cast me anyway That's moving cool. on I got cast as a grandmother and all of these like white little, little kids are like dressed up in their Indian costumes for this play and my mother oh. made me show up in my regalia oh. it was <laughs> Yeah, no, it changed. I mean, everything about like, I, I guess it, it, the act of protest has changed me in every way. Um, and it, it makes me so, I mean, happy because somebody told me once that like, God was happy. And, and then, and then I was just like, okay, like, I guess we get to decide that, right? Because, like, the only way that something can stay in such a state of continuation is if it's happy doing it. So we have to be able to find the joy in whatever we're doing, which is why I'm adamant on not calling it work. Because if it's work, like, I need a fucking break, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, truly. But there's no break to be had in this. It's it's ongoing and it's when I sleep and it's when I take care of myself and it's when I'm crying and it's when I'm decrepit looking and not okay. Um, but it's actually just solely in the survival of it and in the fact that my resistance is my existence. You know, that's like a, mm. a coin phrase <laughs> that all the indigenous activists know. But like, yeah, it's an excellent truth. And, and so just having that, being a constant in my life, it, it, it is my base. And it, and it was my recognition of my children's rights, you know, before I, I had any sort of vocabulary for it. It was the recognition, right, that like I had a voice inherently. The word for children in Lakota is wakaija, which means sacred being. It's always been there. Yeah. I love this. Okay. I have this other question and I don't know that either of you are going to have the answer, but I think it's good maybe to think about equal rights is this sort of confusing phrase that I think about a lot because I think it's tricky because people experience disadvantages differently and on different scales. And we want to quantify things, which we really can't. Some people are more hungry than other people. Some people have less clean water or whatever. Mm -hmm. All of these things are sort of being talked about as if they're the same, like hunger, but they're not. They're not equal. They're not equal disadvantages. It's all sort of on this sliding scale. So I'm wondering how do we know when children's rights is being fulfilled? 
when we talk about this stuff, how do we know that we're doing it right or wrong or that we've succeeded? Who's holding people accountable? Who's enforcing the rights of children to being upheld? As you mentioned earlier, Angelina, a lot of countries are signed on and they're doing horrible, horrible things to children. So is that individuals are holding countries accountable? Is the UN holding people accountable? Do they have a body that can enforce it? And how do we know if it's being enforced? It's a really good point. I think accountability is the key, right? We've mentioned it a few times. I think that's exactly right. And I think what we've seen, unfortunately, and where we see a rise of human rights abuses or human rights sliding back is the lack of accountability globally. When we, when we know uh, some people are being harmed or there's been an injustice and there's just, there's not been any kind of accountability or rebalancing or, um, you know, any, the, the, no correction even. Um, so this is where we not only, it's not just a moral problem, it's just, it's, it's setting further back. You know, the bend towards justice is just sliding back because, because people are not willing to, um, really push to hold, to hold those, uh, who commit the abuses accountable. So that would make that would make the most significant difference, right? And whether there's a body, it, it's it's all very different. And that's why when we we talk about this, sometimes it's it's within a community or a tribe. Sometimes it's within um, you know this this state. Sometimes it's an international criminal court. Sometimes it's and sometimes it all depends on what is happening and what what can be done. You know, the bar's pretty damn low in a lot of places where there's just simply nothing in a lot of places. So, um, but I think, so the important thing is not to think there's this one perfect answer of when this happens, you do this, and then this is going to make this perfect, right? But the important thing is to know what is deserved. What's Mm -hmm. deserved? Just, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean about like knowing your basic human rights, knowing what is deserved, knowing when somebody crosses something, it is a crime or it is an abuse. And there's not, we don't have to keep questioning whether it is or whether there should be accountability for it. There should be. Now you're on the path to figuring out what that's going to be and if you're going to get it on any level. But at least you are 100% sure it's wrong. And we stop having discussions of whether something is or isn't um, crossing a line. Right. Okay, I have a quick question about the title. Know Your Rights and Claim Them, A Guide for Youth. I'm wondering how that came to be. Uh, <laughs> know Your Rights was, a, it's a, I have a tattoo of Know Your Rights because I like the Clash song when I was young. <laughs> and so we, it's something that, you know, did feel a bit of a punk move. You know, what is that? It's just fighting that, that um, authority. But really it's saying, it, that's why it's the tool book. It's saying, you know, know them, be educated in them. But claim them was what we, you know, because there's a very big difference of just being aware of something. And so it is actively saying to young people, fight. Yeah. I also think it's it's says like, right, the most important people that we need to hold accountable is actually ourselves. Like, it's like if we can imagine, right, that like these, I mean, if we're putting it frankly, right, like the system is, is, is never going to be something that most of us can rely on like for for a future for our safety uh for anything and so Mm -hmm. then to acknowledge that and say listen we need to do something about about this we cannot be complicit in this injustice we cannot be complicit simply because that might be the easiest path taken right but to say that it it is already gone too far 
and we are the ones who who actually hold the power in our numbers and also in our influence. Like young people are the most influential people that there is. Actually, we were talking about this yesterday, just sort of like talking about what it means to be queer. I think that this generation is is one of the, I mean, the gayest on record, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, just to like recognize what it means that people are claiming their identities more and more often, that people are willing to put themselves at that risk, just to recognize already their proximity from that that person which is most privileged, which is most recognized and given access to. Not all of us, you know, fit fit the mold and, and rarely any of us do. So holding each other there and and telling not telling us but but making sure that we can create spaces of safety for ourselves without those institutions, without those boundaries, without those definitions at all to define ourselves, like to be that for one another. Yeah. I think that the claiming part of it is just so empowering to me. When I see the title, the claim, that's what pops out. That's the word, you know, know your rights. Yes, of course, but you need to claim them that there's yeah. something that's actionable, something that can be done that you can do. Right. It's like this invitation or something. I don't know. I love it. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. Now we're going to talk about books and reading and writing. This is the fun part for me. So we're going to kind of do it a little different because Tokata, you didn't technically write this book even though your story is written in the book. So we're going to do a little back and forth. Angelina, I'll start with you. I ask every author who comes on the show this question. How do you write? Where are you? Are there snacks and beverages involved? Do you have a candle that you like? A ritual? Are you in your home? Do you go to an office? Can you just set the scene for us about how you write? How do I write? Okay. Well, (laughs) I write in the most scattered possible way because I've, I, you know, I, I have six kids and I have, and I'm, so I've, I write anywhere and everywhere and I have random notebooks and things. I can, you, nobody can see this, but I have like, you know, it's just things <laughs> wow. everywhere and paper and I, and I write in. So, um, yeah, a lot of stream of consciousness whenever it comes and whenever I get five minutes. And do you ever have a time where you're able to say, you know, I'm writing now, I'm going to close the door, or is it always just fits and starts? I do. And I try. Um, and I'll try. And, and if I have to write something, so I'll, I'll get motivated by it. So I'll read something um, for something like this. I would really read this. A lot of this was collecting, reading the stories of injustice, reading the mm-hmm. stories about somebody who's fighting for their rights, reading this. So then it, it just gets you thinking, draw, like kind of drop in, right? You got to drop in. Um, sometimes you're racing, you have five minutes and you just put a bunch of thoughts in, but if you can, you really try to, um, so I drop in by most of the things I write are about sometimes other people or other histories. So I try to really just sit with that and their stories and their voices and try to kind of join them and then, and then write like I'm talking to them. And then the last part, which I asked, but I didn't ask forcefully enough, obviously, but it's the most important thing that I ask everybody. Do you have any writing snacks or beverages? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I drink tea constantly. Ooh, what kind? It depends. It changes through the day. I start with green. I go into mint, but I have crazy tea drawers and my kids always buy me gifts about tea because I just, I'm a constant tea. Ooh, good kids. Um, And usually anything, my mom used, I don't think this is a, this is a writer thing. This has been ever since I was little. I'm a grazer and I'll eat whatever I can eat without looking at it. Hmm. So whether it's an apple, a sandwich, or a popcorn, anything that doesn't require full focus, Mm. I'm eating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. What about you, Tokata? Any snacks or beverages that are always with you? Um, Yeah, there, it used to be like Cheez-Its, but- Mm, My fave. I know, but Kellogg's like actually really terrible, I found. (gasps) Oh no. I know, (sighs) and it like broke me a little because- they were my fave. But like, Ugh. you know, I guess healthier options. Fresh fruit is always a go-to. I'm, I'm a big like okay. cracker and cheese fan. Yes. yes. Yeah. Speaking yeah. And my there's language. this character, Thimble Pack from the Spiderwick Chronicles, who like is like only satiated with crackers and honey. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like, I, 
I have an affin- affinity to that. Yeah, snacks mm, are super important. Okay. Like, I'm super glad that you brought that question back. <laughs> it's so true. Like, to yeah. really get into something's like, head. You guys are welcome back on the show anytime because sometimes when I ask the snack question, I get a lot of eye rolls. I get a lot of people like, oh, I don't eat. I just <laughs> drink water. And then I have oh. to get in fights with them because you must be eating something. That's really funny. Oh, that's, a good, that's a good fun question. <laughs> it's my favorite one. I got to ask Barack Obama one question and that's what I asked. And he also team tea. Thank you very much. They didn't let me ask any hard hitting questions. They said I had to ask him something fun. So I went with signature snacks and beverages and he re- and he drinks green tea. Um, okay. You sort of mentioned this earlier, but I'd love for you to go in a little deeper. How do you preserve and or tap into your creativity? Maybe it's something that's like self-care or maybe it's some sort of discipline or rituals. Um, go yeah. Ahead. I mean, creativity. Uh, I'm I'm like I've started to make music so I do that now mm-hmm. it's very nice it's super are you, singing? are you writing what are you doing I'm I'm writing and I'm singing and I'm like kind of I, I don't play the piano but like but I sit at it and I make noise at it until it sounds good you know and it seems to like be working efficiently enough um mm-hmm. for me to be happy with it so, um, yeah, so uh, I'll usually even just like go and sit at the piano for a couple of hours and like acquaint myself with the instrument. Yeah, I, I hate the idea that there has to be rules to music. And I've always found that it's best if I just figure it out myself. So that's that's what I'll be doing. Um, I do a lot of like painting. Like I have this mural in my room that's like, painted on a picnic sheet and I didn't have any paintbrushes and like it's like kids washable paint on this like final sheet it's very strange and wonderful you're so cool I'm sorry what about you Angelina uh my creativity I mean I guess I'm an I'm an artist so I I write screenplays sometimes or I'll Acting's not my favorite thing, but I do that because I've been doing that a while. But um, <laughs> yeah, I like to write. Writing is actually my creative writing. That's your fave. I think so. I think so. For now, at this moment, today. Yes, and right, creative people. Interview. We just, it could be anything. It could be kids' home. Literally everything. Like some, <laughs> yeah. some random thing we're doing in our house. I, I think I, I'm definitely not a more traditional financial-based person. I like, you know, I don't have a head for numbers. I'm definitely one of mm. more like, out of the box, creative, you know, types of people. So, Yeah. Okay. I'm very curious about this since we know you from film and directing and acting. What's it like writing a book? How does that differ for you from being on screen, like in your process, being collaborative? Because you did write this book with other people, which is similar to film. You're doing the work with other people, but what's it like? What's the difference? What's the process like? Were there any things that you just fell in love with, with writing the book versus film? Or were there things where you're like, we could be doing this better? Toccata might be doing this in some, in some way, but I, I, I wrote a book years ago, which was my first, um, it was just my journals were published, my first trips into the field when I started to do refugee work. And so I kept all these journals in part because I'd get too emotional talking to people and I'd get really shy about how to talk mm. to them or what to ask. 
So I kept my head kind of in a book because <laughs> it was a way of being respectful, but also keeping myself contained and, and not crying. Um, but those journals were published. And that so that was the first time. And then organizing that. And because I think it's for any book, it's that crossing over to sharing something. When you're a writer, you're sharing something. I'm sure you write your speeches or you do you. And so I think that's why I feel it's so um so much more precious to me because as an actor, sometimes you're saying somebody else's words or being in somebody else's right. character or somebody else's costume, right? So you're not as responsible, it's not as personal. But when you write and you share, you feel like you're really it's your true truer self. So that process. This process was very different because as I said, this was a lot of really putting pieces together. It was more, um, it was more my special envoy hat. It was more my where you, you're sitting around, you're saying, okay, how do you solve this for a child? Or are we covering, as to your point, are we covering all the children? Are we covering different issues? Are we ignoring this issue? What do we do about trans? What do we do about, so like, what are we, how are we addressing this? And then a lot of it was doing the work, doing the research and making sure that the right voices of the right children were being elevated with the right guides. and the right, Because for this, it was a real responsibility to not, um, to not put forward something that could get a child hurt or put forward something that was, you know, mis just misguided. And, and so, so this was fun in a different way, but it did feel like I went back to school. <laughs> it felt like I was in school by Geraldine about like rights. And um, so, so that part, that part was, uh, was very, very different. And that responsibility is very different. So when people started to read it, especially young people, I was very nervous. Mm. Did you get a good response from young people? Have you heard from them? Yeah. Yeah. It's meant, it's meant a lot. And again, not that they like it, just it seems useful. It seems useful. Right. I mean, and um, so that felt really good. My kids seem to think my, my girls, my girls have it. They're, they're not, you know, they like have it. Have they read it? Did they give you notes? <laughs> you know, when you realize they're, they're, that you're their mom, so they go, it's not, it's good. Like they're shocked. They said that sound like, oh my God, you did something. It's interesting. <laughs> Look at you, mom. You finally did something. I love it. <laughs> okay. Tokata, I have a question for you. Are there any people that are younger than you that are activists that are doing this sort of community engagement that are inspiring you right now where you're like, people need to know about this person mm -hmm. who's creating a new version of the future that I'm into that's imagining something different that you feel like we should be supporting or shouting out maybe? Somebody younger than me. I mean, because technically you're an adult now. Oh, you know, you're 16. You know, I'm I'm 18. Oh, you're yeah. 18 now. Oh, You've yeah. crossed the threshold. Yeah. You're I'm old. Going when you said arrest, I thought, does that change? Yeah. You're fully old. You're fully washed. Welcome to the club. Once you hit 18 to 99, you're just an old. Yeah. People have become very, like, I guess, vulnerable with me not vulnerable but like open with me about the fact that like it's not getting any clearer mm -hmm. from here like nobody really has the answers actually so like sure don't it's just this for some more time I think mm -hmm. it'll be great um yeah but no I am I'm I'm no longer a child I think my brother honestly is like really cool which oh. is like not like uh, his name is Zania, Zania Iron Eyes. He like has, he like made a TikTok and I didn't know about it for forever, but apparently he's like really gotten some like views and stuff on there. Like, like a, a lot. 
yeah and like and i was like it's it's really crazy i think there was one where um he posted this picture of this uh wanted poster for this native person named kills in water who like uh you know committed some some crimes and he like made a video of this and saying that like he aspires to be like this and and it went like went viral and he's he's super cool he just modeled some shoes for adidas called um shichona which means barefoot in dakota um yeah he's like doing some really cool things and i feel like we're mobbing into the world you know as like a family and it feels super awesome and cool <laughs> i'm gonna cry i love my brother so much and hearing you talk about yeah. your brother is it's making me emotional <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so embarrassed no it's <laughs> shout out to your brother we love to see it okay for people who love this book what are some other books you might recommend to them maybe books that are in conversation with or kind of dealing with the same themes it doesn't have to be like the exact same kind of book but just something that for folks who are vibing with this book that they might want to pick up next as they continue on their journey oh goodness there's yeah. a, so much and it's kind of like it's your own journey to find what specifically because of course everybody in this book I, I'm quite fond of <laughs> Vanessa Nakate who's 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 in the book it, has written a book recently but really there's so many I mean I think that's the main there isn't that one voice and I think that's part of what we're trying to say with this there isn't one voice there isn't one specific issue one specific right it's about us it's about everybody joining together and you know and and really finding people would say to me sometimes when they, they when I was first doing my UN work and they'd say well how do you get involved or how do you get and I'd say the first thing you do is you really really try to feel what's what area you're passionate about right and you just try to find those voices that speak to you and you try to find your own voice and you try to just listen and you try to just and there really isn't and definitely don't get stuck on one book one person one issue just really try to keep keep open mm. yeah and I think one person I would say is John Trudeau. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's somebody he's passed away since. And, but, but his words are really important. And I, and I would like people to, many people are rediscovering him now, but I think, I think people looking him up and listening to him. Okay. I'm yeah. going to look him up because I don't know him. Trudeau. He's cool. Tokata, do you have anybody else or any other books you want to add? I don't know. I mean, like like Angelina said, I think that it's definitely different for everyone. I think that like the two books for me that like come to mind that like I would say that I would read in tandem with this, like as an individual. I'm reading right now Audre Lorde's biomythography oh, called Zombie, which is super good. I'm having a really good time with it right now super special also i read black elk speaks in mm. high school and my dad also read it when he was 16 and like it feels very much uh, in the same way like claiming our cosmology as academic material claiming you know this knowledge as academic material and and also in the same way like the audrey lord book like it's sort of the blurring of lines of, uh, that is occurring in, in all of it. And also then like the definition that's coming from knowing your rights and, and claiming them no matter, you know, what the situation is. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, what I would those are great. I love those. Okay. I have two more questions. This one is a short one, but it is the second most 
important question behind the snacks one. What is a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? I struggle with restaurant. <laughs> oh my God, Angelina. There is a debate on the show about this word because there are people who cannot spell restaurant and then everyone else. And you are in a line with some of our great minds and our time who simply cannot spell restaurant. <laughs> it's like the most polarizing can't spell word on this podcast. Tokata, do you have one? Or are you a super speller? No, I'm not a super speller. I think it's just that like all of them, you know? <laughs> okay, you're in my club. Is that, is that a club? I'm not, I'm not a big, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's room for error in probably all of them for me. So yes. <laughs> that's, you know, that's exactly how I feel. Penmanship, and some people think that it's because I'm trying to be secretive. <laughs> But it's because you can't spell. You know, makes makes me (laughs) cover my mistakes. Oh my God, I love this. Yes, Tokata, you and I are in our own team Mm -hmm. called We Spell Everything Wrong and we're getting fine about that. Yeah. I spell episode wrong a lot, which is a word that I spell constantly because I have a podcast (laughs) that has episodes. It's a word really, really for a long time. It just looks weird, doesn't it? It just looks right in this yeah, for me, it's that I've started typing it wrong. But for whatever reason, whenever I type it, I type it E-P-I-S-D-O-E. Mm. I know that that's mm. wrong, but my fingers have like gone on a yeah, line of you, their own. They betrayed me. <laughs> You've like have loved yourself into like <laughs> yes, Exactly. Totally screwing it up for no reason. Okay, this is my last question for each of you. If you could have one person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? I mean, my head, my mind is always just on that one kid somewhere in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have whose family even and lives in a house where the whole house is not educated and rights are not supporting the rights, right? Where they just really have nobody, no touchstone to the reality of how much that they're feeling or they're being oppressed by is unfair. And then to just get their hands on it somehow. And and start the journey of realizing what they're worth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, then, I hope that the teacher of that kid is <laughs> given many copies. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's part of what I'd like to do yeah. with the book, actually, is I keep thinking, everybody keeps saying, well, it's good to like get people to, to read the book or talk about it on these things. But I keep thinking, I just want to get boxes to every youth activist yeah. everywhere. Yeah, to oh my kind of do that underground distribution to each other. Yeah. Um, even they were saying, well, some countries aren't going to publish it, you know, because of course some countries won't want to. Right. But, yeah, right. but my, my, I'm going to bet on the kids translating it themselves and somehow getting the copies out. Yeah. I think it's that book. It's the underground book. Mm. Bet on the kids. Definitely. I feel like that's going to be the title of this episode, betting on the yes. kids. <laughs> it's true. We're all old. I mean, Tokata, you're young, but I still think it'd be under 25s as the ones that are like, yeah, they're doing it. It's true. And we're old and just, we're just betting on the kids. Slide into that mom role. of like, we're here, we're listening, we're supporting, but we're mm. not going to pretend that we're, right. we're knowing. Right. Everything, you know? And I think I should say this. I have so many listeners who are teachers, educators, and this is the book to get in the hands to the young people. If you are a teacher who does care about the rights of young people, which I hope you do, and you can be that person, I, that's an actionable thing that you can do 
as just pass the book off to the right kids, to the kids who think are interested or the ones who think aren't interested. Because honestly, those are probably the ones that are really interested, the ones who are acting like they don't care. Right. The ones that are too cool for school just need to know why their feelings Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. justified. Okay. Was that you? And then, and then they'll level with you. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I can tell it's you. No, I only ever did school once my teachers like admitted to me that like I was never going to like it and for good reason. Like, and to admit to themselves like they, they, that they didn't actually like school that much, very much well, either. Like, American, not history. American history must yeah. have been. I mean, how can Oh my I, gosh. I can't no. even. We could do a whole mm-hmm. episode on just okay. that. We could get into it. We could get into Miss Patsman's fourth grade play. Miss Patsman. Really Patsman. Did. I would no, love to do an episode on the play. What you did was wrong was, right now. Oh my God. We like globally. <laughs> what you did was wrong. Miss Patsman, we're coming for you next. We need a copy of the text. We're going to do a whole episode. We're going to do a book club episode on why this play is the worst ever written. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> This was incredible. Thank you both so much for being here. Again, the book is called Know Your Rights and Claim Them, A Guide for Youth. You can get it wherever you get your books. If you cannot get it where you get your books, we're going to find a way to get it to you. Underground. We're going to bet on the youth. We're going to get you the book. Tokata, Angelina, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all for listening. And thank you so much to Tokata and Angelina for being my guests. I'd also like to thank Joseph Papa and Gabriella Arias for making this interview possible and coordinating the many moving parts. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for December is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. And we will discuss the book on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Please make sure you're subscribed to The Sacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out this website at thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. And our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 